Hey, theater people, Patrick here. So just a few items of business before we get to the show. First, we are so excited to announce the launch of our weekly newsletter. In the newsletter, we'll be announcing the premiere of the latest episode. It'll also be the place where we'll announce our upcoming live events. Spoiler alert, we have several announcements on that front coming up in the next few weeks. Also, I'll be writing a weekly original column about something theater-related that I'm obsessed with each week. And Steve, my husband, will be writing a weekly column which will be a deeper dive into musical theater history based on each week's episode. We highly suggest that you subscribe to the newsletter. You can do so by visiting our Facebook page, our Twitter page, or by going to our website, www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R, P-P-L, dot com. Also, we are about two weeks away from our first live summer series event, this one featuring Queen Leslie Margarita herself. The event is Sunday, May 8th at Pearl Studios. There's a pre-show party from 5 to 6 with producer Mike and me and some of our fancy Broadway friends. And then Leslie and I go on right at 6. We'll chat for about 30 minutes, and then she'll sing a song or two with our live accompanist, and then she'll take questions from the audience. It's going to be a blast, and there are exactly eight tickets left. You can get the tickets by visiting our website, www.theaterpeople.com. Again, that's theater with an E-R, P-P-L, dot com, and click on the Summer Series tab. Okay, now to the show. You're a young girl and you want to know better than to be here. What would everybody think? Whoa, mama better back. Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. I'm not going to beat around the bush here, theater people. I think that the new Steve Martin and Edie Brickell musical, Bright Star, is one of the most inventive, interesting, charming new musicals I've seen in a long time. Truly, I hope everybody who hears this episode will run out and see it. We are so thrilled to welcome one of the show's stars, the fabulous Paul Nolan, to the podcast today. Paul made his Broadway debut in 2012 in the title role of the Andrew Lloyd Webber classic, Jesus Christ Superstar. He went on to replace in the role of Guy in the Broadway production of Once, and just last year he starred in Dr. Zhivago. I'm going to say it again, you guys. Go see Bright Star. Paul is great in it. The show is so magical and unique. It was such a pleasure to get to basically chew his ear off about it. Here's our conversation. Whoa, go, so, mama, you're pretty as a daisy. Smell like a rose, make a man crazy, but it won't be me. Hi, Paul Nolan. Hi. You really are that handsome in real life, huh? Thank you. You just walk around with that face all day. You know, my wife would agree with you. <laughs> yeah, as would everybody's wives and, and, and some people's husbands. Um, hi, welcome to this podcast. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy that you're here because I had like... The most magical experience seeing Bright Star. My producer, Mike, and I, we watched it. And at the end of the first act, I said to him, I was like, I, I really think there is – we just saw stuff that has not been done before. Your show is so magical. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that's like the best compliment you could give us. I, I think that it is. I, I think that even reading the script last May – I thought I have to do this. I wanted to ask you about that because I read that you that you read the script and you really you really wanted it. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was wondering how does that make the audition process easier or harder? It, well, it depends. Um, I think in this case it made it a little harder because 
you know, I put that pressure on myself to really go in and execute what I had prepared. I think that's really always my goal in an audition is not to do it well or not to do it right, um, but to have an opinion when I enter the room and, and execute that. In the case of Bright Star, I was so in love with it that I... I really, 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 I really wanted to execute. And and so I have to say two of the three auditions I did. And the one in the middle uh, that I've told the story a few times, I, I was a little distracted when I, I was in tech for Daddy Longlegs. Oh, right. And uh, I was just kind of exhausted and really kind of blew it in the audition. How so? Uh, I wasn't... Um, you know, I think acting is... You know, there'd be disagreement when it comes to classical theater or, you know, Shakespeare and what. But a lot of acting is thought. And, uh, you know, you're practicing thoughts and images and you're breathing. And I was not breathing in this audition and I hadn't practiced my thoughts enough. I was too busy trying to learn two and a half hours of dialogue and singing for Daddy Longlegs. So, um, you know, I was just highly distracted. It was hot out. I felt like I was melting. Yeah. And I was nervous. I was nervous. Steve and Edie are in the room and Walter's in the room and yeah. it's a quiet room and a big giant room. I felt like I was at Jesus's last supper. <laughs> We're going to get to that. Um, I, I, I wanted to, I, I meant to say at the top, I wanted for people who haven't seen this show to sort of, sort of give them a sense of what the show is about so that they'll understand what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And the best, I, the best, vaguest and most specific I could come up with was kind of like it's a it's two parallel love stories one sort of like happening in the 20s and one sort of happening in the 40s and there's sort of a through line that connects them mm-hmm. and you are um uh, you are one half of the older couple that that whose love story and life story we're sort of seeing do you want to expand on that or do you think we've covered what people need to know well i th- i'm te- I, first of all i am terrible at me breaking too. down the plot <laughs> if you asked me to break down what west side story is about <laughs> i'd be rambling for 35 minutes <laughs> um, but I, you know, you're you're partly right. I, I, my character exists in in mostly in our play in the twenties. So as as the younger version of himself, you see, uh, you know, AJ Shively plays a character that exists only in the forties, as does Hannah LS. Does that is that how you say your name, Hannah <laughs> LS? Um, and uh, and so I get to go from being an 18-year-old to being a 41-year-old. Right. Uh, which is really kind of awesome. Yeah. As does Carmen. Carmen Cusack, she, she goes back and forth between the 20s and, and 40s often. So effectively. I mean, come on. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So. I mean, so, okay. One of the first things I wanted to know was in reading this piece, what me what specifically about it did you made you feel like you just had to do it? Because did you know the music at that time? I did not. Uh, it was it was the script and yeah. the script alone. Uh, I read it on a flight to Toronto. I was going up to see a friend do an, uh, an Iron Man in oh, uh, wow. in Quebec, actually. And on the way, I knew I was going to be coming back and doing this audition. So I read the script, and I was shocked on this flight. Shocked, And as Walter Bobby says, he gasped at the end of Act 1 reading the script. I had the exact same response when I read it. And I'm crying on this flight in Act 2, yeah. reading a play. I, and it's not very often that I have that kind of visceral response. So it really was the humanity of it, the themes of forgiveness, forgiveness and redemption, and uh, and the playfulness. It's humorous. It's tragic. It's... 
redemptive. It is, it is a hugely human piece. What could be better than holding you close to me like this? I'll be in trouble if I stay out late again. Ten more minutes in my arms won't do any harm. What could be better than holding you close to me? I can't imagine improving this moment at all. If I asked you for a kiss, how could I resist? I wanted to talk about the the sort of the theatrical elements of it that because I find that Bright Star is. Just it's just not your average musical. You know, the music is sort of bluegrass, sort of honky tonk. The staging is is a little bit more. I don't know what how even to describe it. Like you see people go from you know young to old, like on stage right in front of you. The choreography, which I I just can't get out of my mind because it's so beautiful. I was wondering as an actor if you've worked with sort of non traditional elements like this before. I mean, the band is on the stage with you guys, or they're part of the show, and how you adapt to that for this production you know i i did work a little bit like this on once however mm-hmm. uh, i played guy and really didn't have a lot to do with the the movement style of once but watching what stephen hoggett did um was a big part of you know obviously a big part of the show and it has kind of this unconscious connection to the imagination and the emotional life of people and i find it extremely moving myself. Now, when it comes to our show, it's hard for me to describe what happens. I think that over time, you don't aren't conscious of what of what you're doing all the time. You're just trying things on, like clothing, and seeing what that does to your body, what it does to your imagination, what it, you know, what it, how that affects you. And a lot of stuff gets thrown out in that process. It's the same as, you know, trying things in a scene that really didn't work. Yeah. Um, and that is an ongoing process, even though we've opened the show. That's, to me, exciting about theater is that when you're really present with your scene partners, anything is really possible. And um, when you have a strong script like we do, it, may, it supports that. Yeah. How was it when you finally did hear the music the first time? Because if I understand correctly, Edie Brickell wrote an album that the show is sort of based on. So that that album has existed in the world. It's been around for a, a, a couple of years, right? Stephen Edie wrote uh, an album a few years ago, and uh, you know I think they won a Grammy for one of their songs on that album, um, and they thought. Can we write a musical based on these songs? And I think having worked with Walter Bobby on it, and 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 so they originally took uh, this album and were attempting to 
turn that whole album into, you know, the songs of this musical. Well, over time, they stripped away more and more of those songs. And I can't tell you how many are still in our show, but one of them, I think, is When You Get to Asheville. Yeah. Um, which Hannah sings. And uh, I believe that is the Grammy Award winning song, if I'm uh, not correct. If I'm not wrong, I should have some notes for myself. So <laughs> I I'm probably not should know. The wrong fence. I should just say really a whole bunch of untruths. <laughs> right, exactly. Like yeah. Superman is in our oh, show. Oh, really fact check this. Yeah, that's, yeah just exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but, um, yeah, so they, they most of the songs they actually have written specifically for the musical, but it was inspired, they were inspired to write the musical because of their collaborative process in the first place. So Steve, uh, if you watch any interviews with Steve discussing uh, with Edie how they write their music, Steve generally comes up with a chord structure, so, you know, and then Edie goes away and finds melody and, and, and lyrics and they were in, and they're they're highly collaborative. So yeah. At what point in the process did you start working with them? Did was that when you like in the audition process, or you know, being a, a new show? Did you get to have some input into into elements of it? Yeah, I, I mean, they they are really respectful and generous artists, uh, and yeah, I mean, they they like any good artists take what's in front of them and and realize the strengths of that person. And try to support those strengths and add to them. So I think, uh, though there's lots in the show that hasn't changed since I started working on it with them, um, there are some parts that I think are probably shaped for me. Yeah. Because of what I'm good at. Mm -hmm. um, vocally or just as a person, what I'm good at. And uh, and directors work the same way when they're good. They They see, oh, this person is... That's what that person's groove is. Let's let's go there and yeah. see what happens. So um, the same thing happens, I think, with Steve and Edie with working with us. They, they, when something isn't quite working, they will, you know, clip it and try something else. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you – I wanted to talk a little bit about the choreography in the show. Um, I know we mentioned it a little bit, but I'm not – I'm not typically a person who who notices choreography first, or 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 like I love a good dance number, but it doesn't usually stand out to me. There are a couple moments in the show. One in particular, you're not in it, but it's there's this beautiful moment, and I, I don't want to give it away. But it was a moment that my my producer and I watched it, and we both were like, "Well, we're going to have to come back and see this again because it happens kind of quickly, and you just." can't believe it i and know what it is you know what i'm talking yeah. about right it's Asheville, right yeah yeah in, in the in the store mm -hmm. yeah and it's 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 um so i guess what i wanted to ask you was a do you do you are you a person who enjoys choreography are you a dancer um i get paid to dance once in a while yeah and it always surprises me and uh uh, you know, in 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 a room full of people who can dance Rum Tum Tugger or Mistopheles, mm -hmm. I am not a dancer, <laughs> and I would never, you know, join them in their call. But yeah, I can dance. I'm an athletic person, and I took dance lessons for quite a long time, and I worked really hard at it. I love to dance. Um, of course, it hurts more and more as I get older. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I think uh, when movement and, and and dance supports story yeah. and st supports character, and when you get people who are good at doing that, like Josh Rhodes, a yeah. choreographer, yes. uh, it can be kind of transcendent. It's It can be 
it can hit you right in the heart. Yeah. And it's kind of an amazing thing. The thing that you're talking about, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, you know, they basically use movement to turn back time and then the character that's singing at the time gets to, you know, express her biggest dream. Yes. Okay, then let's just explain the moment. So Go for it. He, it's this this young man who's courting this young woman, or, or sort of, they're sort of courting each other, and he goes to see her at the shop where she works, and he has, you know, they have a, a scene, a book scene, and then he leaves, and as he leaves, he sort of like does this like fancy little hat trick, and then he goes to the door, and the and this is all just part of the choreography, but the, it, it goes into a song, and the townspeople sort of brush him back, and he does the whole thing in reverse. And they go back to the... And it's... I'm not explaining it perfectly, but it, it, part of it is that I think you can't, you can't, you can't verbally explain what a moment like that is. And it's so incredible. I mean, it literally, that moment alone will make me come back and see the show again. Honestly, when that was not in our show in Washington in December, it was something that they went away after that run and thought, how do we improve this song? Uh, I won't tell you what it was like before, but that's what Josh and Lee Wilkins, uh, the associate choreographer, um, came up with. And when I watched that for the first time, I was my breath was taken. I'm I, so glad to hear that. Yeah, it was like I, I said. My words were, "That's a game changer." Yeah, it it, it improved. And explained what the townspeople are. They're yes. kind of essentially like a Greek chorus, yes. or, or the fates, or what, or angels, whatever you want to think of them. They, they kind of you can't put one label on them. They're not one thing because they, they step into reality a lot as well. But they, uh, but they manipulate the characters. They are um, constantly shifting the characters physically, and it's it's a cool use of of of, of choreography and and uh, stagecraft. I wanted to ask you about Carmen Cusack, your 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 co-star, mm-hmm. your leading lady. The two of you play so well together. I had a vision of how our life would be rolling like a river, peaceful, wild and free. I had a vision of how our life would go. A happy little family playing on the porch If I could lift this veil of darkness If I could see Speak 
Carmen's had a, a huge career in, in England. Yeah. As I'm sure you've read up and know. Um, you know, she's played Christine Daae mm-hmm. in Phantom over there, and uh, she was Elphaba in Wicked. Like, the, the the kind of parts she's sung, you just can't imagine the diversity of what her singing talent is. Um so you know she spent a lot of a great deal of her career in in in, uh, in 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 England and in Australia uh, she grew up in the US of course in partly in Colorado and partly in Texas I know her biography apparently yeah um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah so that's 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 why I mean and, and, and as you know she's toured here uh, with the first national of South Pacific and she played dot in um, uh, Sunday in the park Sunday in yeah. the park it's Chicago shakes uh, so she's a huge talent of how our life would be Everything was beautiful You were next to me I had a vision Of how our life would go Everything was wonderful I wanted to ask you if you're the kind of person who reads reviews. Not really. Um, the reviews for your show were good. <laughs> oh, good. I understand they were. I, yeah. I ask my agent uh, usually and I say, uh, were they good? Yeah, yeah. You know, getting into the, 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 fine, the finer things, whether, you know, a director that I've worked with a lot says, you know, if, if you read them, you have to, if you believe the good ones, you have to believe the bad. So, mm-hmm. um, and neither is useful because the most important thing is that you remember to criticize yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's extremely wise. Uh, of course, the ego is very curious about, did they like me? And uh, did they like the show, of course? And do, are we going to have a job in right. a month? And all of that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't find them particularly useful artistically. They can be extremely useful for business, but they can really, really mess with your head. They Even if they're trying to say something positive, sometimes... Uh, um, you know, when I was still reading them, I, I read some positive stuff and I thought, that's not what I was trying to do. And you kind of start thinking, you get outside of yourself. And the important thing acting wise, when you have good chemistry with someone, it's because you're in the play and you're across from them, breathing across from them and reacting to what they are saying to you now. Yeah. And uh, to be too conscious of the things you're doing can disrupt, I think think some of the electricity yeah 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 I, I i wanted to ask because i think as a person who sees a lot of theater and loved your show so much i just i mean i loved it i thought it was great i think the audience when when we saw it, i think everyone had the same reaction but i think that there's a fear that a show that is a, that is a little bit creative the way that yours is and that is a little bit unique um and and i'll just say different a little bit different than your than your uh average musical might Critics might not respond well to that. And so when they did, it was so validating. And I was wondering just what it was like at the theater the next day. I mean, you know, to come in and just be like, yeah, this show's going to definitely have a life now. You know, we're going to get to do this a lot and we're going to get to share this with people. I'm just wondering how, what the vibe was like. Well, obviously it was good because, you know, there are certain reviews that make a difference. They can, 
they can hurt you or they can help you. And uh, so to, to be validated in that way, uh, it's it's extremely important for us to be able to continue doing our job and to bring what we are so passionate about to people and to do that for crowds because uh, they can help attract attention to you. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, uh, this is a commercial city for theater and uh we have to sell tickets yeah yeah um can we go back and talk about some other amazing things you've done in your career <laughs> sure <laughs> um i wanted to talk about your broadway debut as jesus and jesus in that incredible des mackinoff directed production mm-hmm. of jesus christ superstar um and I, I it was funny that this question even occurred to me that i was just like how how is it to play jesus <laughs> you know like in a in a in a major commercial product like how is that um, well, it, uh, that's a complicated answer actually, because we, you know, we were, we did that. Our company was together for two years doing that show. We started in Canada yeah. at the Stratford festival and, um, uh, you know, we did over a hundred performances there before we traveled it to La Jolla, to the La Jolla Playhouse for, um, I think we did 40 or 50 performances there and then had a month and started rehearsal in New York. Yeah. Um, so we were kind of a, a well-oiled, um, I can't say a machine, but we were a, um, a polished company with the show. And, um, when we came to New York. So we came in with confidence. And I'm not saying like we thought, oh, this is the best. What I mean is we believed very much in our production. And that was a huge asset um, um, to to feel that way about how, you know, first of all, f- to feel that way about my performance, to feel that way about our show as a whole. And so I had a really great experience. Of course, we would have liked to st- stuck around longer and and sold better. Um, but you know, we were here for four months, and and that's nothing to shake a stick at. Yeah. So, um, uh, but playing Jesus for that long, it it kind of uh, it traveled through many different phases. Yeah. And uh, again, I my you know my job was to bring my presence to this person. Uh, this very um, historic and uh, important figure to many millions and millions of people around the globe um, through the lens of Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, uh, who had created a very, very smart uh, version of the passion. So um, I can't say I enjoyed it. Uh, when people say, "Do you, is it is it fun?" I say, "No, <laughs> it's not fun playing yeah. Jesus." You know in what the happens last to him, right? Yeah. yeah, it is not fun, but it was satisfying. And uh, so over time, it kind of changed and was really dark for a long, long time. And and then I started kind of working with joy, as, um, and that was not. Uh, something that I thought was possible uh, because of what he was going through. And and, and it kind of changed how my experience of it yeah. in a good way. It added another layer to uh, an already endless and infinite uh, person to, to play. I loved playing him. Yeah. If you don't mind, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your training because as my husband said, he was like, 
when we said Jesus Christ Superstar, I think one of the things that we walked away from that production thinking was like, that guy sang that insane score like he was taking a bath. Like you have a <laughs> voice that can – like a stratospheric voice that seems so effortless. Where does that come from? You know, I don't entirely know. I think uh, definitely I can give credit to taking singing lessons as a young guy when I was 15, 16, 17. My uh, singing teacher in Regina, Saskatchewan, uh, Canada, named Rob Urson, and my first singing teacher named Betty Hayes. Uh, they they just gave me a foundation, particularly once I was a little old, like later into my teens, and they, I could study a little more seriously. Uh, I just got a taste of it. Now, when I moved away from home, I couldn't afford singing lessons because I was a broke student. Yeah, and uh, but it was also good for me because I stopped trying to do everything correctly, and I just started making sounds again. Now, what changed was I had an idea of what my tongue and my soft palate were doing, and and then you just start experimenting, and uh, I think experimentation is a is a huge part of it, and and probably physiologically, I've just been given yeah. very tough vocal folds. Nothing really makes them mad. Yeah. Um, you know, unless I'm really, really mean to them. Yeah. <laughs> did you do, you did all eight shows, I think, right? Yes. And did you ever lose your voice? I never lost my voice, no. Um, the only thing that really ever gives me trouble is if I get any kind of lung, uh, chest colds. That that w- makes my chest voice disappear. So I'll have high notes and I'll have really low notes, uh-huh. but I will not have any kind of belting notes. And it, ha- you know, if you want to get oogly boogly, yeah. Uh, that kind of sickness tends to happen to me when I'm playing grief parts. Ah. So parts that are driven from the heart and 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 also full of sadness. So Jesus was tough. I had to really wrestle with him. And and if I was getting if I was going down the wormhole too too often, I had to really um, figure out my way out of that. And same with playing Guy in Once because uh-huh. he was just such a sad person to you know to start and and gradually his life was picked up by this little person yeah that that uh it it really haunted me for a while the stress of that uh made it tough to stay healthy um we covered this a little bit but i i love a i love a good broadway debut story so i'm just curious about you know if you might if you don't mind talking a little bit more about how it was to make your broadway debut in a starring role in a really (laughs) loved production of a of a classic show in like Um, also the title role yeah, um, weird to make your Broadway debut is Jesus Christ. It's kind of like <laughs> feels all downhill from there. Um, in a way, you know, having now done five shows in New York, four on Broadway and one off Broadway, I I would like to do that again because I would know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. It, it's a different thing here. And I was so overwhelmed. I was exhausted, first of all, because I poured everything into that person. And it was, as I was saying, it was full of grief. But uh, um, I'm making myself sound like such a dark person. <laughs> I'm really a goofball, as most of my colleagues say. And I, get, I, played, I, get, I get hired to play all these very serious parts. It's so, true. You, um, you give off goofball, though. I get goofball from you. <laughs> well, good. Uh, my next part has to be extremely funny. Exactly. <laughs> You know, Jimmy Ray in Bright Star is – I get to play, spend most of the night being light. And then – That's then, true. Then she gets real. Yeah, um, that is really true. 
Um, Sorry, I just had a flashback to, to certain moments. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, if I could do the Broadway debut again, like what Carmen's doing now, I think it would be kind of fun because Carmen is has her Jesus part right now, yeah, and this is a part of a lifetime for her, and she's amazing in it, yeah, and uh, but she has a little more experience doing. Um, these commercial shows than I did. And so if I could take it all back, I would just be better at business. How so? Well, uh, because I was so overwhelmed with the, the attention, with the, you know, with the buzz around stuff, with how people, what people want from you, I didn't know how to do that and do my job well. So oh. I think I shied. A, a lot away from the attention. Okay. Um, and now I'm ready to get more attention yeah. because I, I figured out how to do my job well and how to, you know, come do interviews between shows. Yeah. That, you know, it may, you know, that said, it often depends on the part you're playing. You, you right. sometimes are playing parts that you just can't give anything else. Yeah, totally. Um, um, can we talk a little bit about once? I, I have one really specific question. Sure. Okay. I read this in an interview. You, you had said of doing once in which you played guy. Um, one of the it's one of those affirming shows that made me proud to be an artist, mm. and I was wondering if you remember what made you say that, and and if you wouldn't mind expanding on that a little bit. I mean, it's such a gorgeous show. I guess I, you know, I would just say that once my I saw once when I was here doing Jesus Christ Superstar, I had a night off to rest vocally. Um, I had a few of those during the thing just to kind of stay healthy, and I thought I'm going to go see once because the reason I started playing guitar and teaching myself how to play guitar was the movie once. Oh wow! And I thought you know this is a high this this has a high chance of disappointing me because I just thought the movie was authentic and beautiful <laughs> and. Um, but I went, and every single second of that performance was electrifying and magical. And the tension and the the stagecraft and the brilliant direction. I, I think Once is – that production of Once is perfect. And uh, John Tiffany and Stephen Hoggett and Martin Lowe and the company that that originated that show – in which I stepped basically into the very the the original company. There, there weren't very very many people who had left. Uh, was Kristen Milioti still doing it? She was not. She okay. was gone. Um, I did it with Jesse Fisher and Joanna Christie. Okay. And uh, you know, it was it, there was nothing to improve. It was simply this perfect piece of theater that. Um, you know, I just really wanted to come in and honor it. And part of that was for me to get better at playing the guitar. Yeah. Because I was, I think I was the right actor for it. I think I was the right person for it and the right singer. But what, what I really had to pay, pay a lot of attention to was playing that guitar. And as, as the year went on, I got better at it. And it, it, you know, it really did help me play the part better because I could actually be, inside this person who is that good at playing guitar. So. Yeah. Uh, was it a part that you had to lobby for, or was it just a regular audition that came your way? You know, it was a regular audition that came my way. In fact, it, it, it uh, came my way earlier, but I turned the audition down because I wasn't playing well enough, and I knew I'd only have one chance mm -hmm. to make a first impression. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and I didn't want to blow it. I wasn't ready to do – I wasn't ready to play it yet. So it was like about six or eight months before the – uh, they were looking again 
Um, actually, they were looking for some people for their tour, which I was not available for, but they saw me anyway in anticipation of future replacements in Broadway and on the tour. And as it happened, um, my contract, uh, I was doing Tommy in, in at the Stratford Festival. Oh, wow. And uh, my contract was finishing and Arthur Darville's was finishing uh seven weeks later so that was the I I rehearsed for five weeks oh uh, in New York and then took over the part so it was like fate meant it to happen my sisters saw the show when they came to New York and they said Paul you're gonna play that part and I was like I don't need to yeah because I saw it and it was perfect uh though I saw what they meant um and I was terrified to to play the part because Steve was fantastic he and Kristen Kristen Milioti is like yeah. I, I want to work with her someday because yeah. I, I just think she's like Carmen she's brilliant and uh, and and alive and spontaneous and all of that and all of that stuff but uh, I I just thought there's nothing to improve on so I was kind of terrified and honored and uh, shocked that I was getting to do it yeah um, I wanted to end by talking about Dr. Zhivago Mercy you plead, mercy you get I'll be here waiting and watching you Sweat like a rat in a cage Cringing in dread, cornered like me When the gutter ran red And the steel blades tore through our skin As the Tsar's guard bellowed its infamous call Now reap what you saw ask this question sometimes and I hope you're okay with it I'm curious to talk about what it's like to be a part of a production that you love and you put your blood sweat and tears into and I'm you know you just work so hard on that for whatever reason just doesn't catch on and doesn't have a very long life Um, how was how was that experience for you well I think it was excellent to have it here because you know I'd been you know, just off a year of contract with once, and you you know, it's not reality most for most actors in New York to constantly be doing hit shows. Yeah. So, uh, though I would have preferred to be in a, a hit production of Doctor Zhivago, um, obviously it's disappointing um, because you do you you put your passion into something, you work on it so hard. I mean, the amount of time and money and hours that we put into it yeah. let alone the writers who'd been yeah. working on it for 10 years and uh, who are ama- lucy simon is just in, a genius right yeah uh you know so it, it's it's tough it's tough to see that 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 uh baby die so it's it, it is it, it's tricky but um but you move on. Yeah. Uh, that's what it is to do commercial theater. That's you know, commercial theater is an opportunity for everyone to profit uh, versus not you know, not for profit is you just but where you know you're going to have the job for a certain amount of time. It's it's just a very different experience, um, and that's the risk you take, and you move on. Yeah, my my husband again was like, you need to ask him about that raked stage. He was how how did he survive? Oh, Can you tell me boy. how raked was this stage? That I believe the the rake was the maximum amount and if i'm 
if I'm not mistaken, I think the maximum amount is an inch per foot. So that doesn't wow. sound like a lot. You're like, oh, it's just an inch. But those stages are deep. But they're but actually, it is. You're, when we're first on it, like, what's the big deal? And then five days later, you're like, what is going on with my knees? What is going on with my shoulder? What is going on with my back? And it, it's very weird. Uh, but it does. It really can make a difference. Now that said. Rake stages are beautiful to look yeah. at, and I, I, you can't blame, you can't blame designers for wanting to use them. Look at Matilda. Matilda's yeah. gorgeous. Uh, Javago was stunning to look at. Um, it's so funny. It. Like as a, as a person who's not an actor, I feel like I never would notice. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I was just thinking. I was like, yeah, Matilda is gorgeous. That's a rake stage. Like yeah. I just feel like I would never, I would never see that. You would notice if you went from one stage to the next. On the same set, one without rake, one with. Yeah. It just plays with perspective in an awesomely illusory way. Like it's it's a uh, it's hard to because I agree when I see a show, it takes me a while to realize that that's a raked stage. Um, Zhivago wasn't tough to figure that out because not only did they have it raked, but they had the 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 pattern in the floor was painted so that it was also forcing perspective to look like a gigantic ballroom because oh, the, the, wow. the, the the squares and diamonds in the floor got smaller as it went up stage. Uh, it was really, you know, a beautiful design. Yeah. Well, congratulations on Bright Star. You know, I know we're not supposed to talk about this stuff, but I feel like you guys are going to have a great award season, and and you know, it's going to be so great to see you guys doing the shows and making the rounds. And you know, I hope every, I hope everybody comes to see your show. It's so magical and we special. We do too. And uh, thank you for that. I, I mean, we we kind of get to rest knowing that the show that is not to be named, is, yeah, is is the favorite for everything. So we kind of just are here doing our job and I kind of dig it yeah I, I love that it really is everything will be icing on the cake we just want people to see us and uh, and have the experience you did and uh, and they have the experience that our audience are clearly having so yeah well thank you for taking the time to do the theater people podcast between shows I'm so appreciative I'm I, you must be tired I'm ready to eat and go do it again <laughs> well so nice to meet you thanks for being here yes thank you see you later bye Shine again, the sun is gonna shine again. The sun is gonna shine again. The sun is gonna shine again. Hey, theater people, Patrick here. Just a reminder, head over to our website or our Facebook page or our Twitter page to sign up for our newsletter. I am obsessed with it, and you're going to love it too. Also, get your tickets for our summer series shows. There are only a handful of tickets left. You can find information and tickets at our website, www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L.com. For this episode, we used a ton of music from the original Broadway cast recording of Bright Star. So a huge thanks to Ghostlight Records and Shikaboom Records and Dan Fortune for making that music available to us before the album was released. You can currently pre-order the album on iTunes. The album will be available for download on April 29th. Theater People is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. I edited this episode. Special thanks, as always, to Steve Tipton, Bradley Bean, our webmaster, Keith Allen Herzog, Eric Emsch, Ricky Condos, Ellen Marie Marsh, and the staff at Oswald's. We'll be back next Monday with Olivier Award winner and star of the hit musical Finding Neverland, Laura Michelle Kelly. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. Shine again. The sun is gonna shine again. The sun is gonna shine again.
again The sun is gonna shine